a good thing that you're here so we can just uh, get started so automatically i just gained myself a co-host atunika thank you <laughs> and you could help hi dr dan hello nice to meet all of you <laughs> okay so just to start basically i have one um this is open source stories with regina what we do basically here is that we share stories of leading women in open source projects. So um, this program basically is to inspire, motivate um, women contribution to open source projects. So just for you to know that this Twitter space um, is currently being recorded and it will be converted to a podcast. This podcast is currently available on Amazon, Google and Apple Podcasts. Um, so you just simply have to search for Open Source Stories Virginia and you would see past interviews with other people that are interviewed on this um, program. And so today I'm so glad to have someone here and uh, uh, she is Dr. Dawn Foster. Um, I, I had a close interaction with Dr. Dawn and I think that was about, I think, two years ago. So I joined the Chaos Project for Occasional Contributors. Uh, metrics um and that was the time i actually had more like a close interaction we have for that particular metrics and i see that she's an amazing person she has inspired quite a lot of quite a lot of people in open source and i'm so glad that she is here currently with us oh thank you so just to be that our bio for the sake of um recording so dr don works as Assets August, and I think I would say congratulations, Dr. Don. She's going to be working as the director of data science for the Chaos Project, um, where she is also a board member and a maintainer. That's awesome. She is the co-chair of CNCF Chat Contributor Strategy and an open UK board member. She has 20 plus years experience at companies like VMware and Intel with expertise in community building, strategy, open source governance, metrics, and more. She has spoken at over 100 industry events and has a PhD, an MBA, and a BS in computer science. And she says, in her spare time, she enjoys reading science fiction, running, and traveling. Once again, Dr. Don, I am so glad to have you here today, and you're welcome. Thank you so much for inviting me. Um, you know, I took my time to basically look at your blog, which is Fast Wonder, guys. If you've not looked at our blog, go and check it out. It is actually, you could actually spend your whole day at Dr. Dawn's blog. It has everything you're looking for from our speaking engagement and everything. And I was thinking of how then do we start this conversation? How do we begin this conversation? Um, I would like you to tell us a little bit about your background. Like, how did you get involved with open source? What's your story? Yeah, so I I got involved in, in open source sort of accidentally. I I came out of university back in the mid '90s uh, with a computer science degree, and I started working as a Unix systems administrator. And at the time, I worked for a manufacturing company, so they really didn't they didn't want to pay for software. They they considered IT more of an expense than an investment. So I used a lot of open source software, kind of in my day to day role as a sysadmin. I didn't contribute. I didn't really understand open source at that point, but but I did I did use it. And then five years later, when I started at Intel back in uh, 2000 or so, they 
they uh, needed someone to look at um, some open source developer tools and some Linux developer tools um, to see which ones might be strategic for, for the company moving forward into the future. And they looked at me and they were like, well, you did Unix, that's kind of like Linux and you've used open source, which was more than most people at Intel back in 2000 had done. Um, so so I, I sort of got uh, tagged with doing this project. And a big part of this strategic analysis of whether or not some of these projects were going to continue to be successful and strategic for Intel moving forward was looking at looking at the community. Was it was it active? Were there people actually doing things? Were they were they making regular releases? So I started I started getting more and more fascinated with how these communities worked. And so I started doing, eventually doing presentations at conferences about open source communities and kind of how they worked and how they were structured. And, and this, uh, somebody saw me give one of these presentations and was like, hey, you know, we need a community manager. Uh, would, you, would you be up for that? It was a startup at the time that uh, was never successful. Nobody's ever heard of them at this point. But that was in about 2006 or so. And so then I started managing communities pretty much, pretty much full time um, for, for a number of years. So I worked at several, several startups. I had some, I had a consulting company. Um, I eventually went back to Intel and worked on a couple of mobile open source operating systems as community manager. I went to, to Puppet. I was the director of community there. And then I, I actually took some time off and went back to school to get a PhD. So I, got, uh, so I got my PhD by studying the Linux kernel and looking at how people collaborate within the Linux kernel. And so I spent a few years doing that. And then when I finished, when I finished that, I ended up at, at Pivotal working on basically open source strategy and some Kubernetes strategy in particular. And then we got acquired by VMware and I ended up in the open source program office, which is a fantastic place to work. Um, and it was really hard for me to leave. Uh, Monday was my last day at VMware. So it was, it was hard to leave, but the director of data science position at Chaos really is my, is my dream job. I get to play with data and I get to do that as kind of the full-time full -time focus of, of my role. So I'm, I'm really excited. I am taking most of, most of July off with the exception of going to Fosse. And then I'm really looking forward to, um, yeah, to starting that in, in August. Well, uh, yeah, I, I saw your post where you posted about not being easy actually leaving um, VMware. Um, just thinking about how you started um, up from school, working at Intel, and then realizing that there was a gap um, within our communities actually build open source software. Would you say that this was more like what inspired you, um, motivated um, your journey into open source? Um, yeah, I mean, what, what motivated me to get more and more involved in open source over the years was, uh, was really the communities. And I, I was just fascinated by how these, how these communities worked because I think naively back when I was using open source software as a sysadmin, I sort of thought that, you know, people, I just didn't understand how people sort of throw things together and you eventually end up with something that works really, really well. And I didn't understand that there was all this structure and that, you know, these communities have this structure, there's governance structure, there are people in leadership positions. There's, there's all of this, this stuff that isn't necessarily obvious unless you're looking deeply at the community. And so I started getting fascinated by that. 
And then when I actually started managing some of these communities and getting more and more involved, uh, the people I met were just absolutely fascinating. And so I've just met so many really amazing uh, people who, you know, yeah, they do, they do open source work, but generally you talk to people and they also do all of these, all of these other interesting things. And so I, and you keep running into them at, in different communities that you're a part of, and you keep seeing these same people over and over. And I do find it just really, uh, just that the people are really, really amazing. So it's, it's the community that keeps me around. I think that you, you would um, agree with me that the people is basically one of the things that makes people want to be part of open source. Um, so this brings me back to more like a regular question that um, have had people ask me and they want me to ask you as well. It's basically looking at your journey, I would call your journey a progressive um, career journey and career path because um, you have moved from one stage to the other stage and um, I think that you at some point understood um, where you should be and you stayed on that path. How then do you balance um, your personal life, your career and then your open source contributions? Um, why am I asking this question is basically that we are fortunate in this era that we have organizations that are basically now, you know, paying, they are now paid in internship. But research has shown that um, the vast majority um, within the open source um, ecosystem as contributors, they are working as volunteers. So how did you manage your progressive career being available for open source work and your personal life? Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting question. Um, I Because early in my career, I did not balance that well uh, at all, to be honest. Um, I did I did a lot of conferences. I still I still do a lot of conferences. But I think I I have gotten better at pacing myself when I especially when I travel to conferences like the open source conferences. And um, so it used to be, I felt like I had to do everything. So, you know, I'd have breakfast with people. I'd, I'd be going from, you know, seven o'clock in the morning until, you know, midnight every, every day during the conference. And I've, I've realized that, you know, I need to take a little time out in the middle of the day to, to relax. I maybe need to not stay and be the last person at the party. And, and, that, it's, and that it's okay to take some time for myself at those, at those conferences. Uh, because I did, I did burn out of two jobs. I burnt out at Puppet and I burnt out um, at Intel my second time there. And I was just absolutely, absolutely exhausted and, and not productive at, at all. And so what I've, what I've realized is that I really, really need to take the time for myself. And so, you know, now I, I protect my personal time pretty, pretty viciously. And, you know, being in Europe, I do sometimes have late meetings. But that means that I that I start later, or you know maybe I maybe I start early and take a two or three hour lunch, um, and and making time to to work out, making time for Pilates or to go for a run or even just to take a walk uh, at some point during the day, because I think it's I think it's really really important to have that have that balance. Now I've also been super fortunate in that uh, my jobs have allowed me to contribute to open source in my work time. So it's a lot easier for me to protect that that personal time because I can make most of those open source contributions um, during during work hours, and that doesn't mean it doesn't occasionally bleed over, um, but but I try I try really hard to protect my personal time because I think it's it's just so important to have time for your for yourself and your your friends and your family. 
Um, yeah, sure. Um, could you share some of the things that you do to basically protect your, you know, your personal time? Yeah, absolutely. I, I actually block it out on my calendar. Uh, in particular, when I'm, you know, working at, when I was working at VMware, because people will tend to schedule you for things. And so I, I was willing to take meetings up until 7pm. Um, but I, I blocked my calendar after 7pm and um, basically just said, I, you know, I'm not available for meetings after this time. And then I would, you know, the the previous week, I would look at next week's schedule, and I would see which days I had to work late. And then I would block a couple of the other days off. So, you know, I'm not available for meetings from six to seven on, on two of the days, so that I'm not working until seven o'clock every single night. And then I block that time off um, at lunch. So if I so that if I take a two hour lunch, because I'm working, working late, I block that time on my calendar, too. And so I, I block the time on my calendar. And then I make sure that I don't don't work during that time. So in particular, the, the lunchtime generally tends to be when I when I go for a run or go for a walk or do some do something like that. Um, play some Beat Saber on my VR headset, something like that. Quite interesting. I mean, thanks for the practical insights about that one. Um, looking at when you actually started your open source journey, um, I was really fascinated about um, how you basically um, took on your career. Um, and now being in the chaos project, knowing that this particular space is basically, uh, basically for inspiring women, right, into open source projects, contributions, and all of that. Um, how has um, your experiences in open source, how has it been shaped, um, how has it shaped your perspective of diversity within the open source ecosystem? Yeah, it's, I think it's actually shaped it quite a lot because I think that, um, so when I was a sysadmin, this was back in, like I said, in the 90s, there were not a lot of women sysadmins back then. There weren't a lot of women in IT, um, period, but in particular, system administration didn't seem to have very many at all. And so I think that when I started working in open source, I was still sort of taking it for granted that there just wouldn't be that many women. And it was just, I think I just assumed that that was the way it was and that um, I didn't really think much about it. But, you know, more, you know, later in my open source career, I worked with a, a few people like, um, you know, uh, Kara Souls, who worked, uh, worked on my team at Puppet, and now she works at, at GitHub. And I think she was, in a lot of cases, sort of instrumental in helping me understand why some of some things were really important from a diversity and inclusion standpoint, because I, I really, I, I guess I really didn't understand the importance of, you know, of codes of conduct about, you know, maybe having alcohol free drinks at events. And, and there's so many things that you can do to make the spaces that we work in and open source more inclusive to, to, you know, all people. And I really, I really would say that I hadn't really thought about it as much until I, until I worked with Kara and I think she really, really opened my eyes into why it's so, why some of these things are so important. And then within the chaos project, getting involved in the, you know, the diversity, equity, and inclusion working group, we started developing metrics. And I think that gave me a lot more insight into why, why diversity, equity, and inclusion is so important. And then I think that seeing it firsthand, how just wonderful and inclusive the chaos project is, 
I think really, really helps me, really helped me see the benefits of, of focusing on, on diversity, equity, and inclusion, because, you know, now I think it is super important and I, you know, just can't even um, overestimate the amount of importance that it has within, within our community. And I wish, I wish I'd come to that realization earlier. Um, so it, it, it took me a while, but, uh, but it is, it is so important. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, um, I appreciate the fact that you basically were quite transparent about how you um, began to actually realize that we have, should I call it shortage of women within the open source ecosystem and um, um, mentioning the chaos projects, which is one project that I really do um, admire what you guys do. I wanted to find out what has some of the strategies that you might be thinking of or you think that you're doing at the moment that would bring in more women into the um, open source projects um, that you're currently working? Yeah, I think that there are a couple of things that are really critical to, to bringing more women and, and people from other underrepresented groups into, into open source. I think one is, you know, if you look at the leadership and you can see people who, who look like you, you can see other women, you can see other people from, from other underrepresented groups. I think that helps a lot. And I look in particular at the, the chaos project at our, our governing board, which is, which is very diverse. And I think that that, that certainly, the, you know, the leadership certainly drives that. But I also just think, you know, being, um, being welcoming and being helpful and, um, you know, just treating people really, really mm -hmm. well. I think that is going to help bring, um, you know, more people into the community, and I think in particular more more women. And I've seen this too with um, with Open UK. Mm -hmm. So so I'm on the board of Open UK, and the board is is roughly I think I think half women. Um, and and you can really see it when you come to you know Open UK events that there there are a lot of a lot of women at these events. And so I do think that you know having having people in leadership positions makes makes a big difference because people can see that they're that they're welcome that there are lots of other people like them in these um, you know in these events in these spaces and you know in, in various activities and I think that that, that definitely definitely helps. Mm -hmm. um, I I think that um, also um, um, recently I interviewed someone and. One of the things that she shared is basically, basically um, being the only only woman basically in a particular leadership role can also be frustrating. Are there mm -hmm. strategies that you think that communities could basically use to ensure that they are more like equality within um, the women and other gender within the leadership board of open source projects? Yeah, I think... I think it can be a real challenge. Mm -hmm. I think that it takes it takes proactive recruitment. I think especially if you're a project that hasn't had a lot of women involved uh, in the past. So you know, like like you said, if you know somebody's the the only only woman um, in in that space, it can be really hard mm -hmm. to recruit more. But I think being being proactive about it can can help and you know, and, and asking people for specific things. So, you know, finding people who have the skills that you need within that community and, and asking them to participate and encouraging them to participate. I mean, I, I got involved in, there was one particular group um, within the CNCF, the, the 
contributor strategy technical advisory group. Um, you know, I was doing a community strategy position at VMware and I'd sort of heard of this group and I thought, oh, I should, I should see what this is all about. And I showed up to a meeting and um, someone I knew from another, another community, um, from the Kubernetes community, Paris Pittman, I showed up at this first meeting and she looked at me and she's like, hey, we need someone to write a project health guide. You should help us do that. And so, you know, it was sort of my, my, first, uh, my first meeting. I wasn't really all that involved, but, but she saw me there and she really wanted my help with something, which, you know, made me feel good, made me feel appreciated. And, and now I've stuck around and ended up a, a co-chair yeah. of that particular group. But, but it was because she was, she was, you know, proactive and encouraging and really, you know, kind of wanted me in that space. Mm -hmm. So I think that is basically having a welcoming um, onboarding um, strategy, basically, um, are one of the things that could keep women um, within an open source project and also possibly lead them up to the leadership role, to a leadership role, rather. Um, this brings me on to another question. I know that I'm looking at the time. I promised you 30 minutes and um, every other person can, you know, contribute to this in um, for the next 15 minutes. Um, so... Winding down into how we started our conversation, and you basically explained some practical insights into how you basically manage burnout and all of that. Um, I have a story um, of um, a contributor, um, a lady that uh, started contributing to an open source project and finds that she um, was not treated well. Although she's quite inspired by this project, but she's not basically uh, content with the way she's been treated. Um, what would be your advice for such a person? What should she do? Yeah, that that is really unfortunate, and I really, I really hate seeing examples of that. And I've I've seen I've seen other other examples, um, you know, similar similar situations. Um, there, there are there are a couple of, of things you can do. Um, one is if, you know, honestly, if if the people who are treating you badly are the people in the leadership positions, regardless of how much you might like that that software, I I probably wouldn't bother. I would probably walk away from the project, um, to be honest. Uh, and you know, if they're not the people in the leadership positions, if there are other people that, that someone can talk to and say, Hey, you know, I don't really feel welcome and, and ask for suggestions from somebody else who's already in the community, um, that, that I think can help, especially if there are other women in the community who maybe, um, have been successful for a while asking them what their, what their tips are. But the reality is, and this is something, this is something I talk, uh, I, I talk about a lot because I think that a lot of maintainers really, they end up in these maintainership and leadership positions within open source projects because of their, their technical skills. And I think what a lot of them, a lot of maintainers in particular underestimate is that moving into a maintainership position is essentially becoming a manager and you need to develop some managerial leadership skills mm -hmm. as a part of that. And understanding how to communicate with people, how to be encouraging, how to how to bring people up into leadership positions, and you know, grow people the way you would if you were a manager at a company. You focus on, you know, your employees and figuring out ways for them to be more and more successful. And as a maintainer, that's that's really part of your job. You are a manager, and and you need to be 
you need to be thinking about how you can get more people involved, how you can encourage people, how you can um, mentor people so that they can learn the skills that they need in order to be successful. And so I, I think that, you know, really thinking about maintainership positions as, as managerial positions might help some maintainers sort of, um, you know, get over some of their um, some of their issues in, in dealing with people. And, and you know, I, I love to see maintainers focused on building some of these leadership skills that they need in order to be more successful. I, I mean, that's, um, that's one of the most interesting um, insights I've gained from what you've said for maintainers to basically get the leadership skills required. Um, because also, you know, someone said that because most of this maintenance, they built this project. And so even if there are complaints as to um, being treated wrongly by, you know, someone else, um, contributors are handicapped. What it means is they really can't do so much to this maintenance because they want to keep the projects going, going on. So um, from what you shared now, possibly we should have more speaking engagement that would basically let maintainers know that they need more skills to become open source um, maintainers. Um, that would help grow the um, open source community. Winding down to more like the last part of my question before I allow some contributions from the audience and from the listeners. Um, we have cases um, where um, people actually talk more about criticism and negative feedbacks. Um, I think for the last two interviews I've had, um, we've had um, women face cases, um, practical experiences of the, their work and their contribution being criticized or, or being look, looked at in a way that is not uh, um, a proper open source contribution. Let me put it that way. What do you think that um, we could do um, in this case? Yeah, that's a it's a hard it's a hard situation, um, right? And and it tends to happen in communities that aren't aren't particularly friendly and open and focused on on building a diverse and inclusive environment. Um, you know, like I said, I think you know if there are other people who can who can provide you advice from within that community of, of you know ways that um, you know that they've been able to get over some of this some of this criticism. You know, and, and in some cases, I really think that, um, so it's, it's, this is something that I've, I've learned to be a bit careful about over my, over my career is that negative or so feedback often feels like criticism, whether, whether it is or it's not. And then sometimes in open source communities, it definitely is. But I think if you, if you try to just treat it like, like feedback that you need to, um, you need to figure out how to, how to you know, make a change and what it is that you've contributed and, um, and not take it as, as criticism, even, even when it maybe is, but not make it, try to make it not feel that way. I think that can help because I think in a lot of cases, we, we do tend to take things personally, mm -hmm. um, people, not just women, just people yeah. in general. Um, when somebody is, you know, giving you negative feedback, it's really easy to take that, to take that personally. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as much as you can kind of strip the personal bits out and, and focus on what you need to do to make your contributions work better for this particular community um, might be able to help. In other cases, like I said, sometimes you end up with toxic maintainers mm -hmm. and there's, there's no amount of change that you're going to be able to do to fix things. 
Um, and so in some cases, it's in some cases, it's better for your own I think, sort of mental health and well-being to walk away from some of these communities if they are really, truly that toxic. Hmm. I mean, there's no better way to say it. Um, it's either you look at an advice for good or you decide to you know, look for other projects to work on rather than being in a toxic space. So um, yeah. moving on to a particular question, uh, I got this question from um, some of the listeners here sent me this question. Do you think, um, are you looking at doing anything within the chaos project that would be solely for women? Um, no, not, not for me particularly mm -hmm. around, um, around the data science. I don't, I don't think. Um, I think that um, Elizabeth Barron, our community manager, um, is is probably a little bit more more focused in in this area and looking at um, you know ways to get to get more women involved. I would certainly love to see a lot more women involved in in the chaos project, and I I will certainly encourage. I do know some data scientists, um, women data scientists that I that already are involved in the chaos project, and I'll probably um, try to get them even more involved with some of the data science initiatives. So I think it's something that we'll probably do a little bit of, um, you know, and, and we'll see how successful it is, mm -hmm. right? So these the data science bits are just starting within the chaos mm -hmm. project, but you know, it might be possible to do some internships or something in the mm -hmm. future um, that we might be able to focus on on um, women or in other areas. But I, I don't have any plans for that right now, but I also haven't figured out exactly what I'm going to be doing <laughs> yet as, uh, <laughs> as the director of data science, that's my, my first task in August when I get back. Uh -huh. Okay. And I'm looking forward to read um, more of your blogs about as you progress in your role, honestly. Um, yeah, thank you. So um, before I open up um, for listeners, basically, and the co-host is going to handle this part, listeners can share their insight or they have questions for you. Um, um, what do you think uh, basically is... Uh, some of the most exciting things going on around open source at the moment. What gets you excited within the open source ecosystem? Yeah, there, there are a few things that get me excited about the, the open source ecosystem right now. Um, one is, and, and we've talked about this uh, already, but one is the, the focus uh, that I'm seeing lately on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm -hmm. So, you know, things like, like the event badging program that the chaos has been doing, but they're also looking at doing DEI badges more generally for, for projects and working um, in conjunction with, with GitHub to do that and encouraging people to have a, you know, DEI.md file where they talk about their diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. So I am really excited to see the progress that we've been making in DEI and, and seeing that starting to progress in, in a, I think in, maybe in a bigger way. I find that really exciting. Um, I also, you know, getting back to the data science bits, I also find, you know, some of the, the AI and the machine learning stuff that's, you know, starting to spin up and we're, you know, we're still trying to figure out what that means from an open source perspective. But that is also something that I'm, I'm finding really, uh, really interesting. I also think that AI and the DI badging stuff going on within the Chaos project is actually very interesting. I, I feel like every open source project should actually be part of that one. Um, and that the Chaos project has basically led um, 
most open source projects, including GNOME, basically on how to be, you know, um, more inclusive and you know, build a diverse environment. I wouldn't say that um, within the open source um, projects, we have gotten it all right, but I think that there's um, quite a level of improvement, like you said, and communities, some communities are intentionally taking um, diversity and inclusion more seriously. And I'm happy about that one, honestly. Um, so I'm going to leave um, now because I know that um, most people would have questions for you, Dr. Dawn. And so Atinuke, which is a co-host, is going to unmute anyone. If you have questions for Dr. Dawn that you would like her to address directly, please raise your hand. I think I'm seeing Ruth. She has a question. Um, our co-host is going to unmute you. And you can speak. Hi, um, Don. Hi, Regina. Uh, thank you for organizing this. And big fan here of Don. Um, so I have a question, Don, about. I'm kind of curious on what. Oh, I think I commuted. Oh, weird. Um, so my question is, I'm kind of curious, um, what were your challenges or what have been your challenges so far and how uh, throughout your career and how were you able to navigate them? Because um, I, I think I've known you for quite some time and I've listened to most of your talks and uh, you're one of like my big inspiration so I'd love to know um, the challenges you've experienced so far and how you were able to navigate through them. Yeah thanks Ruth. Um, for the record I'm also a big fan of, of Ruth as, as well and what she's done in particular with uh, with Chaos Africa so we're just gonna have um, dueling dueling fangirlisms uh, right now but um, you know as far as as far as challenges go I think um, you know I think one of the challenges in particular with open source projects is is really where to start right so you look at these communities and you could I don't know you, you just don't even you just don't even know where to start I mean maybe there are some good first issues maybe there are some help wanted labels but it still can be really really difficult to get engaged in in some of these communities and so I think what I would, in, one of the things that I would encourage people to do is to, you know, to just go and listen and, you know, read the mailing list, listen to meetings, see, see if you can get a better feel for, for what's going on and who's doing what, and then start talking to individual people about the, the work that they're doing within some of these communities and seeing if there's some ways for you to get involved. Um, because I think that that is, is probably the biggest challenge from, from an open source perspective. And then I would say, Personally, for me, in you know, kind of company career-wise, I think my biggest challenge has been balancing the work that I do, and and learning to say no to things because there's always so many interesting things going on, and you want to say yes to absolutely everything because it sounds so interesting and it's fascinating, and you just want to be involved in all the things. And I I have learned that in order to to, for me not to get burnt out, I need to say no to things. 
So that I think is, is one of the biggest challenges that, you know, I, I continue to have this challenge, right? It's, it's easy to look at things and be like, oh, I want to do that too. Um, but knowing that you have so many hours in a day and if you say yes to this other thing, then you're going to have to say no to something else. So I think that's probably the other biggest challenge that I've, I've had career-wise. It's just being able to figure out what to say yes to and what to say no to in order to protect my own uh, well-being and, and mental health. Thanks for the question. Rachel. Yeah, sure. Thanks for sharing as well. Um, we have a request from Chris. Quotes Chris C. Um, I'm just going to try it. So. Oh, now you can speak now. You can speak now. Okay, I just wanted to make sure because um, Twitter Spaces has been buggy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, hey, Dr. Don. Um, as far as a question, what advice do you have for um, maintainers who want to bring in more of a diverse, um, create more of a diverse team? but without, like, coming off as, like, I don't know, pandering? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think, you know, one, one of the things that you can do when you're trying to build a more diverse team around an open source project is, um, you know, is to think about, think about what would make newcomers feel, feel more welcome and feel like they can really be a part of the project, like, once they participate, actually move into leadership positions. So we really, you know, I encourage people to, with their projects, to put together, you know, good governance documents and things like contributor ladders, where people can see that, you know, I start contributing and after I've been contributing a while, maybe I can move up to be an approver or reviewer or whatever roles you have in your project. I think that's an excellent place to start. It doesn't necessarily mean that you'll get more diverse people involved, but by having some of that documented, then I think you can more easily move people into leadership positions in general. And then I think, you know, being able to do this without, you know, without, like you said, pandering, I think, I think talking to people who might be interested, um, you know, getting involved in related open source communities that are already more diverse, where you can maybe encourage some people to also participate in your project. I think that can sometimes help. I think if you have if you have funding or can get funding for things like um, outreachy internships, for example, where you could do internships for for women, I think you know that can sometimes can sometimes help. Oh, okay. But I you know I think a lot of these approaches end up being um, you know kind of kind of one one on one, and I think that that's how a lot of these a lot of these projects start getting more diverse is by by talking to people and encouraging people to participate. Thank you. Thank you. And um, this my next thought. It's not so much of a question, but it's something that I've kind of started doing. I, too, noticed that women were not being um, amplified in the open source community. So I started a group 
on Daily Squad called um, Open Source Queens, and it's basically where um, I encourage women and non-binary people to share their stories about maintainership, their experiences, contributing to projects, basically anything. I just, I want to hear your story story and um, let y'all know that that you're heard and you'll be amplified. So yeah, if you're interested, I just posted the tweet in the Jumbotron. So hopefully I'll see you you there. (laughs) Yeah, thanks. I mean, that's a really good idea. I think that we, we do need, we do need spaces where we can kind of talk to each other and provide sort of mutual support and, and amplification of, of, you know, what we're, what we're all doing. So that's, that's great. Thanks. And another thing is that um, a friend of mine um, started this repo called Women Led Open Source after um, she read my tweet about not seeing enough um, women led open source projects. So if y'all are looking for um, projects to contribute to, um, you can just go to the repo as well. So. <laughs> Cool, thanks. Um, thanks for sharing all that as well. Um, do we have anyone else with a question? Um, do you have a question for Dr. Dunn? There's something you would want to say to her? Mm. Okay, why um, I'm basically looking out for requests. Um, so Dr. Dunn, um, one question I get all the time is, um, um, in a very, in your own words, what would you say to any um, young person out there, possibly out of school like yourself years back, that's looking to contribute to open source and it's maybe confused as to where to start, what would your advice be to such a person? Yeah, getting started in open source projects can be can be hard in general and I think it's just doubly so when you're relatively new in your career and just coming just coming out of university um, I would there, there are a couple of things that, that I would recommend I would I would recommend finding a, a project that is very newcomer friendly so that it's a little bit easier to get involved especially if this is the first place where you're contributing so um, you know chaos certainly pretty pretty newcomer friendly um, there are there are other groups that have um, so if you look at, you know, Kubernetes, for example, has a contributor experience group, which is focused on, on helping to make the contributor experience better for Kubernetes contributors. And places like that can be an interesting place to get involved in some of these projects because um, it's, it's a little bit easier to focus on, on helping in more community-oriented um, tasks than it is to just, you know, to start contributing to Kubernetes right off the bat, mm-hmm. right? It's pretty, pretty complex. But there are projects like that that have, um, you know, a big focus on newcomers or a big focus on making the, the community better, the contributor um, experience better. And those, those can be good places to, I think, get started. So I'd, I'd yeah, I'd recommend finding, finding something that's a nice, nice, friendly space to get involved in. Yeah, and I, I think that it is important to know that having a newcomer friendly um, project is very key. Um, 
And right now in, in the Gnome project, we are, we are looking to um, get more experience with this, with newcomers and having to know how to onboard them in. And so we are also, you know, getting more people that has the experience of building um, onboarding experience, great onboarding experience. You know, possibly we could work together and see what we could do within the Gnome project. So, I mean, what she has just said is very, really, really key. Look out for a welcoming community and see how you could basically, you know, get inspired by coming in from the community side of things before you begin to do, you know, the technical stuff. Um, so what are your last words? Um, what would you like to say um, to the listeners? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I would say, I would say don't get discouraged. Open source is a really big space. And if you, if you try one thing and it doesn't really work out well, um, you know, keep trying, try something else, try a different project, try a different type of contribution. But I, I would really, I would really say, you know, don't, don't get discouraged. There, there are a lot of really great open source projects out there and a lot of really amazing people. So I think just, just keep trying until you find the one that, that really fits with, with what you're trying to do and the type of person you are and the type of community that it is. Because I think, you know, I think just about everybody can be successful within, within open source if you just find the right, find the right community and find the right space for you. I think that's the best thing you just said. Find the right community and find the right space for you. Thank you so much, Dr. John, for joining us this evening. I really enjoyed this section with you. And like I said at the beginning of this space, this particular space is going to be converted to a podcast and we shared across Amazon Google Podcast and Apple Podcast. And so you could go back to listen to this or share with someone that is finding it difficult to basically come into open source projects. Thank you all, all listeners that's joined. Thank you, Atenike, for being a short time co-host. Thank you for joining me today. And thank you, all the listeners. Um, thank you, Don, as well. I wish you a beautiful evening. And if it's morning at your end, a beautiful morning. Bye, everyone. Bye, thanks for having me.